Thanks, everybody. I, too, have been having problems with the pollen. And uh, as I was telling everybody, I uh, was cutting down some bushes, and I think it just got to me, you know, all the pollen and, and wearing a mask for a couple of years. Is that close enough? Or should I speak louder? Uh, today I'm going to be talking. really close. Okay. I don't. Did you? Disinfect it? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so today I was talking about downsizing, as you can see. Uh, I can start off in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, and we'll have a look at that. But before we do that, I want to get uh, the reason this came about. And I've been working on this for a little bit now. I've got a few of them that I, I pull together sometimes. And a friend posted a writing, and I can't even remember. I see a lot of blogs, and I do a lot of different things like that. But he put, and it struck me that someday everyone will go through the discarding of things that are the memories of our lives. Sometimes, sometimes it's our own, and more often it's the life of someone we love. So the lady says, when my mom was cleaning out her house over 23 years ago to sell it, I wasn't very sympathetic over her attachments to things. I would go over on weekends to help her, and we would go through things, things for a yard sale, things to donate, and things to throw away. I would usually get upset over how long it was taking her to decide. For instance, we were going through her kitchen cabinets and she spent 20 minutes looking at an iron kettle with a lid. Finally, I said, Mom, at this rate, it's going to take us another two years. Well, she told me that her mother used to make meals in that kettle and leave them at doorsteps of neighbors during the Depression. Mom would deliver them, and then they would reappear back to her with an apron or a wood carving, something in return for the meal. I don't know why that bit. I've read it a few times, and it always chokes me up. Actually, thinking about Everything that Mom was going through was really a reliving of her life. If you're reading this and you're under the age of 60, you might not get it. You just might. Some of you will, some of you won't. But most of you haven't lived long enough if you're under 60. Most of you have not had to move your parents into a nursing home or emptied their home. And you haven't lived long enough to realize that the hours you spent picking up and picking out the right cabinets and, uh, or the perfect tile will not be what matters in later years. It's going to be the handmade toothbrush holder or a picture that you got on vacation, something from the kids, things like that. So if your parents are downsizing and moving to a smaller place, or selling a home, give your mom or even your dad a break. These things that you don't understand why they can't just pitch and why you think you know what needs to be tossed or saves, saved, give them a little time to make their decisions. They're saying goodbye to their past and realizing that they're getting ready for their end of life while you're beginning your life. As I've been going through things, it's amazing just how hard it is to get rid of objects. But life goes on and you realize <clears throat> they are just things, but sometimes things that comfort us. So give your parents or grandparents a, a break. Listen to their stories because in 40 years when you're going through those boxes and the memories come back, maybe even less years, it will be hard to get rid of those plastic champagne flutes that you and your late husband used at a New Year's party 40 years ago. You'll think nothing of the tile or the light fixtures that were so important then. As happy as they are for you, and as much as they love you, you just don't have a clue until it happens to you, 
and then you'll remember how you rush them and it'll make you sad, especially if they're already gone and you can't say, I'm sorry, I didn't get it. And this was the original post was a lady by Melissa Vaughn, who's an architect, and it's just somebody, it's just a blog, an area of, of a blog that I saw, and it just sparked this message up here. Um, and it just triggers all kinds of thoughts. So let's pray before I get on to the message. <coughs> oh Lord, grant us wisdom to recognize the, tre uh, the treasures you stored up in heaven for us, that we may never despair, but always rejoice and be thankful for the riches of your grace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in your Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay. Enough of that. I wasn't supposed to do that. Oh, I know. It's just, uh, as some of you know, I mean, I, I didn't have a great relationship with my mother and my father, but you sort of, you have a, a reliving of it in your head when you get older. And the, this... This one was an interesting one to pull together for me. So it's downsizing. Downsizing the stuff of our lives. So Luke chapter 12 verse 15 says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And I can't remember which, verse, which version I told Michael. And you said, you said NIV. I said NIV and I guess it wasn't. So it may be a mixture. So... There's one, there's one that just came from me in here. It's all from God. A few years ago, when my mother died and my father just couldn't take care of himself, we helped him move from his home in Bumpus, Virginia, to a small house we had in Hillsville that we called the Little House. And it was just a little, tiny house. Months before the move, so we're stepping back now, I'd been going to see my father, and it was increasingly getting more difficult uh, to clean up around the house and yard, and this is even before my mother died, uh, periodically. Uh, he physically couldn't d uh, do any of it. I'll give you an example of what he couldn't do. I uh, came in one day, and as I was walking up the stairs to his house, there was this horrendous smell. And I thought, what the heck has been going on now? I said, now what am I going to have to clean up? And sure enough, opened the door, <clears throat> and what he did was he had a can of dog food, and he put it on the stove. And he turned the heat on because the dog likes warm food, but he didn't pop it. So he forgot about it because he had dementia, a little bit of dementia, and he forgot about it. And this thing, he was lucky he wasn't standing there because it exploded. It went up on the ceiling and everywhere. And all I could see, is, you know, I said, what happened? You know, so I'm getting mad with him. I said, so what happened? I said, what were you doing? He was just warming it up, and he goes, and I don't know what happened. He sure he forgot about it, and I mean, it was just awful. So those are the things that we had to deal with, and I'm sure many of you have seen, maybe not that extreme um, uh, of a thing. So it was up to me and sometimes Diane and the kids uh, to help clean up and to do all those things. And he was about an hour and a half from where I lived up in northern Virginia then. So I'd get up at 5 in the morning and drive down and go down and do things and spend the day and, and take care of all that stuff. And again, the kids would help sometimes when they could. So when it came to actually uh, time to move him out, we only had a few days to move all the items we could out of the house and either in a trailer or in a dumpster. And there was more stuff than we could handle and no time to have a, 
my word is garage, but the garage sale, a garage, and a lot more than we could take. So we rented a dumpster, a big one. You want to put the picture? So we had the biggest dumpster we could get at that time putting into there. And quite literally, uh, this was, I think, two times. It was, it came in and we, f we got rid of the stuff. I mean, my dad was an incredible hoarder. And all those things, I guess, are coming to me. But <laughs> it's, it's our privilege as, an, as, as you get older is to leave as many things as you can for your kids to clean up, I think, is, uh, is afterwards. It's a privilege. <laughs> so anyway, so we did all that stuff. So we rented a dumpster, as I said. And it was interesting. In the crunch of time and space, suddenly lots of stuff had no more value anymore to him. I mean, literally none of it. Some of it he could remember, some he couldn't. Um, this was done when we moved him because I didn't want him, to, you know, we just didn't want him to have the stress of seeing things going out. But I did, at that point, he just didn't even know. He couldn't even remember what he did for a living uh, at one point. So there was a perfectly good rake, old car parts, old mowers. And, and it, anybody that knows me would look at that and, and they'd go, oh, man, I can use that. <laughs> I know sometime, I know that's where I got it from, is from my father. Uh, there was tables and chairs, a couch, wine glasses, entertainment center, bowls, tools, etc., etc., etc. I'm quite sure there are a lot of you that have gone through this. It is not easy. Just getting the stuff out is not easy, and cleaning it up is not easy. And again, like I said, my father was a hoarder. For example, when he retired, he worked at a local recycling site, and which I rolled my eyes when he told me. He says, I've got this job that I can hear the recycling. I'm thinking, he's going to bring more stuff home than people... And he did. And he would pick things up that others threw out. And I'm sure at one time, those purchases and pickups gave him at least a little pleasure as he brought them home. And I'm sure that he intended to use them for something, although I didn't know what. Excuse me. <coughs> I told you. I was suffering too. I apologize. Uh... <coughs> Now, in the frenzy of the move, there were just things to get rid of. Some stuff that had value, but no longer to him at the moment. I particularly felt bad about some tools, because there were some, there were some tools that he had that he had when he was an apprentice in England, and, uh, and some tools that you just can't get anymore. They're what's called Wentworth size, which is an old English size, and I just didn't want to get rid of them, so I had to find a place for them. So I said, I, well, maybe you should try and sell them on Craigslist. And he came back. He says, you can sell it. He was done. He had no need for him anymore. He was washing his hands of it. He just didn't have, he, he just didn't want to look at it. He didn't want to lift it or move it. So I took the tools and parts that would fit in the trailer and moved it to our house. Yeah, see Diane's eyes. Says he's rolling them already out there. There comes a time when the stuff of our life <clears throat> loses its value. Either we give it away or it's taken away. But there comes a time when it is of absolutely no worth to us. And the biblical argument is that we should know that well in advance and live accordingly in setting our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And I got to tell you, it's way easier said than done. When you look at things, I mean, just recently, we ha I have this, we call a low boy. And it's just, a, I, I found it at the flea market one time and it needed some repairs. So I fixed it up and looked at it and I really liked it. We got nowhere for it. But there will be. <laughs> Sometime there will be. We can fit it here. 
So my daughter's got it now at her house. Uh, <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. So in the Old Testament lesson, we hear the familiar words in Ecclesiastes. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, and I don't know what version, because I forgot. I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. Did I even come close? <laughs> On that one is. <laughs> I don't know who had got some of the items we threw or gave away or for how cheap they bought it. Sooner or later, we all lose control over the stuff of our life, our money and our possessions. Sooner or later, we have to give it away or it's taken away, as I've said. Sooner or later, we become penniless. Now, it's best we come to terms with that truth and not let the stuff become an idol. That's also the point for us in the gospel lesson. So Luke chapter 12, verse 9. This is not like a run through the Bible. It's just verses that work for me. One day, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus had been teaching a crowd when a man interrupted and changed the topic. Teacher, he said, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I've seen it many times, and I'm sure you have. There's an ugly dispute, and they're all too familiar. They're haggling over furniture, dishes, silverware, house, land, and savings left by the deceased. I went through it, and I'm sure you did. Uh, and I really didn't care about some of the stuff. I wanted some of the history uh, of the things, some of the records. I didn't care about the stuff. It's the records that you can pass down for me. Uh, yeah, because we've got old birth certificates and things from my great-great-grandmother, uh, which is awesome. But Jesus doesn't want to be a referee. I'm getting sidetracked. That's not why he came. Uh, that's not why he had come. Let's look in uh, now Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. I'm just going to read the whole thing, and I can uh, reference it. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So he says, Watch out! Be on your guard against all greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he goes on to say, and he tells an unsettling little parable, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now if you notice, he didn't talk about the rich man producing print. It's, get my teeth set right. Plentifully, not plentifully. It's not the rich man who's producing plentifully, it's the land. Sun, soil, and rain joined together to make for a bountiful harvest. Trouble is, he'll have no place to store it. And so he says, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. 
that's my plight, unfortunately. Can you sense his glee, his exuberance? I'm going to make a killing out there, and then I'm going to retire and relax, and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Now, if you look, he's not breaking any laws, and he's not a criminal. He hasn't stolen from his workers or mistreated them. He's careful and conservative. Now, we wouldn't look at this man as a bad man. Nobody would. You'd look at him as, like I said, careful, conservative. We might even assume he's wise and intelligent because he has all the wealth. So if he's not a criminal, what is he? And what did he call him? A fool. And the text says he's a fool. Now, why is he a fool? First this, he lives completely for himself. He talks to himself, plans for himself, congratulates himself. Who's going to argue with that? In the Greek body, the words I and my are used 12 times in just three sentences. I was looking it up. Uh, the, I couldn't believe how many times it was in there, actually, because I've got this translation that looks through the Greek from way back when. And it, it really is. I mean, it's 12 times. So there's something in that. And let's face it. It's all about him. Everything about this is all about him. He has no concern about returning to God a portion of the generosity he's received. He has no concern toward helping the greater world in need. It's all about him. Now, he's also a fool because he's short-sighted. He assumes he will have many years to enjoy his wealth. The quote, already well known in Jesus' day, was, Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. As Jesus tells a parable, though, the rich man intentionally leaves off that last part about dying. Who wants to talk about that? This guy plans to just eat, drink, and be merry, period. None of that dying stuff for me. He doesn't want to think about that. There'll be time for that later. But that very night, God would require his soul. That very night. Then, what's going to become of all his stuff? Then, what's going to become of him? In Job chapter 20, we find, that in, in verse 5, the joy of the godless lasts but a moment. And Jesus ends the parable not with a warning, but with a threat. This is how it will be for the one who lays up treasure for himself and not rich toward God. Jesus is looking us right in the eyes, and he is not blinking. I remember one of the preachers I knew from one of the churches we've been to during my career, we've moved around a few times, saying that his professors told his class that when you're threatening texts like this, <clears throat> like this one, part of our job, if you're standing up here doing stuff, is that to say that it's not, it's just not my idea it came up with on, on my own. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus was saying these words. So you basically, you grab the Bible and you hold up biblical text in front of you as a deflection shield and you peer around it and you say, this isn't me making this and saying this, it's Jesus. This isn't me talking, this is Jesus. So why does Jesus come down so hard on greed and covetousness? I mean, I was looking at that thinking, wow, man, that's tough. But even worse in the Bible, it's a form of idolatry. We grasp after things as means of securing our future. This anxiety reflects a lack of trust in God. And I've got to tell you, I've been there. And I'm, and I'm sure if you look at yourself, you've been there too. It's like, ooh, I've got to hold on to this. this I, maybe I'll hold on to this more. And you just don't know. You just don't know when this is coming. In Colossians 3, Paul says, 
put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And that's Colossians 3, verse 5. Covetousness is also a difficult word to keep on saying. <laughs> is also a direct path to a fearful and unsatisfying life. If you love money, Proverbs says, you'll never have enough of it. That's why some athletes, and you think about them, they're already crazy rich. They still hold out before signing a new contract because they feel they could always use a little more. Now, you and I feel the same way, don't we? If you really look at yourself, I could use a little more. I could, you know, we could do different things with it. I could do this and that, and a little bit more money's okay. Therefore, we're reluctant to give it away, either to God in gratitude or to a neighbor in need. I would say that money is the most common idol on earth. The one who has money feels secure, as if it's uh, already in paradise. The one who doesn't have, doesn't have any money feels despondent, as if God doesn't exist. So money can just as easily become the idol of the poor as well as the rich. It's an idol that will come crashing down at some point. So it's not just one area. If you, again, if you really think about it. So what do we do? What can we do? Every day you remind yourself that your possessions are as fleeting as your life, here today and gone tomorrow. God has given them to us for a time to use wisely and to share generously with him, with God, and with the neighbor in need. Now let me repeat that. God has given them to us for a time to use wisely and to share generously with him and with the neighbor in need. Giving it away also puts the stuff of our lives right in its place. Every time we give it away generously, it's shattering the idol that always wants to rise up in our hearts. God teaches us to tithe, not because God needs it, but because we do. We need it. A tithe, 10% of what we receive from him, is our last defense against a world bent on turning us into the fool in our parable. A tithe says to the idol of material possessions, you may own 90% of me, but you're not going to own all of me. With this gift to the Lord, I draw the line. I leave some space for God. With a tithe, we say to the gods of money and possessions, you don't have me yet. I'm giving at least a fraction of my life back to the one who gave all of this to me, all of his to me. Giving it away reminds us what money can and cannot do for us. Now, if money can save us from sin and death, we could never give it away. Giving away is an act of confessing Jesus as our Savior. Our possessions are transitory, and Jesus reigns forever. Turn to him daily and love him more and trust him more than anything that is evidently and tangibly yours. I can't say I do that every day. I try. I focus on it every day, and I think that's what we all need to do is to really focus on this every day. I remember Diane looking at a book. Didn't know you were in this, did you? <laughs> the Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Her and her friends, and I think, I can't remember how many others were looking at that stuff. It's by a Japanese author, Marie Kondo. And it was on the New York Times bestseller list. And I'm sure it's in a pile somewhere in somebody's stuff right now. It's not about finding better ways to store stuff. It's about getting rid of stuff and decluttering our lives. Obviously, many are finding her methods to be very helpful. 
One of the things she teaches her readers is to take each object in hand and decide if it brings you a spark of joy. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't, because you can remember lots of things <laughs> and stuff, so you have to be really, really sacrificial, if you will, with some of those things. If it doesn't bring you that spark of joy, you just get rid of it. Focus on passing it to somebody who can use it or just get rid of it. I guess that's where my father was in the downsizing process. Many of his possessions were not giving that spark of joy anymore. Of course, at death, there will be no more sparks of joy to be found in our stuff. That's why it's important to find our joy elsewhere, namely in Jesus Christ and now. Now. This parable was about a fool who was not rich toward God, but the teller of the parable is the Son of God who has certainly been rich toward us. Out of love for us, he held nothing back. We all have the hoarding instinct in one way or another. And we have the hoarding instinct of the rich fool. But, think, but thanks to be to God who has uh, also have a savior, we have a savior who has given, uh, given us that instinct. We gave it all, poured it all out on the cross. He gave it all, uh, poured it all out on the cross, a savior. We can make no claims on him. We have no right to demand anything from him. Yet he gives it to us freely. In John, Jesus said, I give them eternal life. Salvation has always been a gift that cannot be purchased with our money. It's only given by grace. Many people have tried to buy it. In Isaiah, the Lord tells us the same. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Give ear and come to me that your soul may live. So when you look at that, you can, it's clear that God does not covet our silver or our gold, our precious heirlooms or our land. He doesn't care. He covets us. He covers us as human beings. He's not greedy for possessions but for people. He doesn't want to save money. He wants to save mankind. Jewels and gems mean nothing to him. He can make more. He treasures you. He did for you what money could never do, ever. He died for you. Not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, he purchased salvation for you. Therefore, in our lesson, Paul says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. That's Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now, in contrast to your stuff, his death and resurrection will never be taken from you. In contrast to your stuff, which thieves can steal and bugs and rust destroy, in contrast to your stuff, life with him does not decay over time and cannot, and cannot be stolen from you. Some of your stuff may for a moment provide a brief and elusive spark of joy, like lightning bugs at dusk. It's always fun. I don't know why that came into mind when I thought of that, but it is. It's kind of like a fun thing to think about. But I heard this in another sermon one time. Heaven's a place where there is not a spark of light, but rather bright, endless day, for the Lamb is its lamp. Your stuff may give you flashes of fond memories, but Jesus gives you the promise of an eternal life. Your stuff may deceive you into feelings of security, but Jesus is your rock, your fortress, your salvation. Surrounding yourself with your stuff may make you feel at home, 
but heaven is your home, a place of unending joy, of everlasting happiness, of infinite gratitude and unceasing praise. Now is the time then to start working on downsizing. That's it. <laughs> Thank you for the word, brother. I was trying not to sniffle while I was doing it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Duncan. I think I needed to hear that, you know. Um, we feel so much pressure in this world to, to provide. Just to speak to the men for a moment, the men in the room, I think the ladies probably understand this better than we do. But for the, us men, we're always, we want to provide for our families. And it never feels like it's quite enough, you know. It's always that pressure. That's something I've felt a lot as I'm getting into this stage of my life and my kids are growing up. So, thank you, Duncan. I needed that. I really needed that. And you did well, brother. Next week, Lord willing, we'll be back in the book of Daniel chapter 9, which if you have read that, that is such a wild chapter and it's not stuff you ever hear talked about. And I hope, uh, I hope you will be here for us on that. Thank you again, Duncan. Give him a big hand, y'all. All right. I'm going to close this out in prayer, and then we'll turn you loose to go live your life for the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love and your goodness and your patience with us as we figure it out here on this planet. I pray that, I pray that you'll help us take to heart what we've heard today and that we'll understand what's really and truly important. God, we trust that you will provide for our every need, and we give you the glory for that. And thank you most of all for providing Jesus and the hope and the life and the restoration and the peace and the forgiveness and salvation that's found in him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You go ahead and start that loop there. God bless you guys. We'll see you here next week. It won't be that far off that we'll be doing a baptism. So if you want to be a part of that, if you want to be baptized, Professor Lord of Baptism, let me know right away. And we'll do that. All right. Now, you're really dismissed. See you next time.